Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello everyone. Welcome to Be Careful Out There. I'm Chris. And I'm Kelsey. And today we don't have a whole lot of time to record, so we're going to be jumping into this super quick. But first, I have one quick announcement. So starting next week, we're going to continue doing three episodes a day. The Monday and Wednesday episode will continue to be free to everyone. And then Friday episodes will be for our Patreon members only. So this week, you'll still get three episodes. And then starting next week, there will be two for free. And then if you want to join the Patreon at patreon.com slash be careful out there podcast, you have to have the podcast. If you don't put that, it won't show up. But Friday episodes will be on the Patreon so feel free to check that out if you want to join us for those bonus episodes. If not, we totally understand, but you will still be getting two free episodes every single week. Thank you. All right, let's get into our case for today. Be Careful Out There is a true crime podcast, so listener discretion is advised. And please be aware that this particular case centers around strangulation and the death of two toddlers. Today, I'll be talking about Mary Bell, who was a 10-year-old girl who killed two young boys back in 1968. Mary was from Newcastle, England, and had been born on May 26, 1957, to Betty McCricket, a 16-year-old sex worker. It was unknown who the biological father was, but Mary believed that it was William or Billy Bell. What we know about him is that he was a violent alcoholic and habitual criminal with an arrest record for crimes, including armed robbery. Apparently, when Mary was born, Betty told the doctors to take that thing away from me, when they tried placing her in Betty's arms. Wow, that's a, a severe reaction right there. Yeah, imagine working at the hospital that day and having this new mother tell you that. Well, what do you say to that? It's like, what do you do? It's probably not the only time that it's happened. Like, I, <laughs> I wouldn't so say it's prob. I wouldn't say it's super common, but I bet it happens a fair amount because there are people who get pregnant and don't really want to have a child, but they don't 
want to get an abortion so they immediately want to give it up for adoption and they don't want anything to do with it yeah and i mean also, it makes like, sense postpartum if, depression can be really rough yeah also sometimes they have to give a baby up for adoption because maybe they're not financially able to take care of it like maybe it's somebody who really wishes that they could have a child but they just don't mm -hmm. feel ready for it so they feel the need to give it up for adoption and then holding the baby just builds an attachment so maybe they just don't yeah. want to hold the baby because they know it's going up for adoption and they don't want that attachment because that's going to make it even harder i mean that's a possibility too so i mean i wouldn't say that sounds like a super uncommon thing but her i don't know the tone sounded a little aggressive there well yeah i mean i guess you're right like that makes a whole lot of sense it's just so heartbreaking. But yeah, if I was the nurse in that situation, like I wouldn't want her to take the baby home. But like, who would I give the baby to? Yeah. If there's not like an adoption set up, what do you do <laughs> if the mother doesn't want the child? To, does the hospital call social services? What happens I in don't that know. scenario? That would actually be a good thing to research. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, Betty was both physically and mentally abusive to Mary. And Mary was happy when her mother had to go on long business trips to Glasgow. That's so sad when a kid would rather be abandoned than have to deal with their parent. I mean, that's kind of how I was. When I was 16, my dad got a divorce from my stepmom and he started dating some other women and he basically moved out of his own house and I literally lived there alone. No, it wasn't That's what even, I was thinking about. No, it wasn't when I was even doing the research. It wasn't even 16 cuz I was still 15 when I moved out from my yeah, dad. Yeah, I was going to so say weren't you like 14? It was like when I was like 14 or 15 yeah. because I moved out at 15. So yeah, I was like 14, 15 years old just living in this house yeah. by myself and you my really dad really dropped the ball there. My dad would show up once a week and like drop off groceries. Like I would text him being like, "Hey, I'm running low on food." And he would like drop off groceries once a week and that was about it. Yeah, that is a terrible environment to have at home. Betty's sister said that she once saw Betty attempting to give Mary away to another woman who had been trying to adopt a kid for a while. Another thing is that Mary would always get into what were described as strange accidents, such as falling from a window or overdosing on sleeping pills. Now, pretty much no one believed that these were accidents. People thought that Betty was undoubtedly responsible for these things happening. But people debated whether it was Betty trying to unburden herself of her child or if she just enjoyed the sympathy and attention she received from having a hurt kid. Either way, it's super fucked up. Yeah, and I, I definitely think the latter is possible, especially if people who knew her were speculating about it. Maybe she literally threw Mary out of a window in order to be like, my kid fell out of a window, everyone feel sorry for me. Especially if she was getting money for it. Yeah. Like, think about the people who will do anything for money, including harming their children. Like, there have been countless examples now of these family vloggers that are adopting oh, children yes. to use them to create content and abuse them so if her child getting hurt is allowing her to fundraise for medical bills or whatever and then she's using that money to live off of that's definitely something i could see happen happening hurting your child yeah. intentionally to get sympathy and get money so that way you don't have to work a job like some people are so sick and twisted that yep. they will do that shit. that is definitely a thing that happens which is so messed up but we don't know for sure that that was the case in this situation also at the age of five mary had to watch her friend get hit by a bus so that was a pretty traumatic childhood there Oh my God. I cannot imagine. So it was no surprise that by the time she was 10, 
she had become withdrawn, cold, and manipulative. Yeah, that's kind of understandable with such a horrible life that she's had. I know. It's it's actually, it's kind of interesting to just talk about like how people can get to a certain point mm-hmm. I to mean, take a certain action. Just looking back on my life, like I was telling you how, you know, when I was 14, my dad kind of moved out. I was kind of a recluse. Like I had no parent telling me what to do. I could have gone out partying all the time in junior high or whatever, but really I would get up, you know, make my breakfast, walk to school, go to school, compete in like cross country and track and stuff, do my training after school and then walk home. Like I didn't go to social events, social gatherings. Like I had kind of just become a recluse and yeah, I didn't have much of a social life back then just because I never really talked to people at all. I was just kind of the quiet kid that was just in the corner at school. Yeah. Yeah, that's really sad. That didn't really change until after I had moved out and then transferred to your school yeah, my junior year. And then that's when I really started to become more of like a social person. Yeah. I feel like I actually kind of remember that. I didn't know you for too long before that, maybe just like a year or two, mm-hmm. but I could definitely see a difference. Mary was known to attempt to suffocate her classmates on several occasions. Her classmates were afraid of her for the most part, knowing that she was prone to violence. She was known to fix her chosen victims with an intense stare before terrorizing them. So no one would talk to Mary much except for her 13-year-old neighbor, Norma Bell. The two shared a last name but were not related. On May 11, 1968, Mary was a witness to a terrible accident, or that is the story. Her and Norma had been playing with a three-year-old boy when he suddenly fell from the top of an air raid shelter and was badly hurt as a result. His parents didn't really know Mary's whole situation, and they assumed it was an accident, but I'm going to make a strong, educated guess given all the information we have, and I'm going to say that Mary pushed this kid. He did not fall down. And the very next day after this happened, three different mothers went to the police to say that Mary had tried to choke their daughters. Mary claimed to know nothing about this, but Norma gave her away, saying that she had tried to throttle all three of the girls. This was her statement concerning the incident. Mary went to one of the girls and said, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? Then Mary put both hands around the girl's throat and squeezed. The girl started to go purple. I told Mary to stop, but she wouldn't. Then she put her hands around Pauline's throat and she started going purple as well. Another girl, Susan Cornish, came up and Mary did the same thing to her. So for all this, Mary was given a slap on the wrist by the police. But unfortunately, not much else could be done given the fact that Mary was only 10 years old. Yeah, that's my least favorite what I was part thinking. of covering these cases where the killers are really young is how often the authorities know that these kids are violent and dangerous before someone ever dies, but it doesn't prevent it from actually happening later. Yeah, I feel like it's because there's a lot of laws that protect kids because they're not fully formed adults, like their brains aren't fully formed. So there's a lot of laws that try to protect them in a way. And it's it's just it's It's so tricky. Yeah, it is tricky because you don't want to sentence you know, a 10-year-old to 30 years for attempted murder or whatever. 
but also that's kind of what they deserve because they I did know. try to attempt to murder somebody. But I can acknowledge not, how complicated it is, but it's so unfortunate. It It's like, I'm glad I'm not the one who has to make that decision. Exactly. Uh, that's what I'm saying. When it tur- when it ends tragically, it's really upsetting. But I feel like most of the time it probably doesn't end up tragic. You know? Yeah. There's probably a lot of kids that do harm someone, whether accidentally or whatever, and they get a slap on the wrist and then they never do anything again. That probably happens more often than it turning tragic. So it's just really sad when it is a tragic case like this. Yeah. So no charges were filed against Mary or her mother for this incident. But then on May 25th, the day before her 11th birthday, Mary strangled a four-year-old boy named Martin Brown to death. She did this in a nearby abandoned house, and it's believed that she did it by herself. Now, this does sound strange, but in this area at the time, it wasn't uncommon for kids to be playing in abandoned houses because Newcastle was undergoing a really big urban renewal project, and Victorian-era slums were being demolished in order to make way for newer and more modern housing. So some people still lived in buildings set for demolition for quite some time before being rehoused, and there were lots of kids in the area, and they would sometimes play in or around these abandoned houses. So Mary strangled this Martin Brown in an upstairs bedroom of one of these houses and then left him there. And then later, a couple of boys who were playing in the house had to be the ones to come across his body. Those poor kids, that's something they will never forget and possibly never get over. That's something about these cases is it's super sad to hear that one person lost their life or even with what's going on in the news now, like the mass shooting in Maine that has killed 18 people. Um just the lives lost alone is so tragic, but then the ripple effect that it has on so many people, every member of that family, yeah. every friend of that child, every There's so many victims. Yeah. Um, the boys who had to find him, the trauma that they are going to have for the rest of their life, the trauma that the police officers are going to have, or the firefighters or EMTs or whatever from having to, go recover this four-year-old's body from this abandoned house. Like, it affects so many people. It's not just the one life lost. It has a very big ripple effect, and it's just devastating for a lot of people. Exactly. And it's easy to forget about that so when you... Bad. It's easy to forget about that when you hear about the victims. Like, just hearing about the victims is sad enough, but then just thinking about their families, their friends, the, the people who, you mm-hmm. know, had to deal with all of that. Like, it's so traumatizing. I just hope that they were able to find peace somehow. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. (laughs) Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and Mopmaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. 
Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. So Martin was found lying on his back with his arms stretched above his head, but apart from a little bit of foam and blood around his mouth, no signs of violence were visible. A local workman named John Hall showed up shortly after the boys discovered him, and he attempted to use CPR to save Martin, but was unsuccessful. But as he was attempting to give CPR to Martin, both Mary and her friend Norma showed up and were then ushered out of the house. After that, however, they knocked on the door of the kid, Martin's aunt's house, and told her that one of her nephews had been in an accident. They said they thought it was Martin, but couldn't tell because of all the blood that he was covered in. Which there was blood, yes, a little bit, but he hadn't been covered in blood. She was just saying things, obviously. Well, there is a known thing where sometimes killers will return to the scene of the crime. Like, it's yeah. a pretty common thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sounds kind of kind of sounds like what she was doing was returning to the scene of the crime and then kind of inserting herself into the not necessarily investigation but obviously notifying the family is something that the authorities do and it seems like she's kind of inserting herself in there oh yeah and that is a common theme in this case and she (laughs) it was pretty messy too because uh she got herself found out real quick i don't doubt it So, yeah, we know that she liked to interact with her victims, family members in a really sick way, like which is very common, like you said. But, yeah, the next day, a postmortem was conducted by Bernard Knight. But unfortunately, they didn't have enough information to determine a cause of death. There was an open verdict, however, meaning that the jury confirmed that the death was suspicious, but was unable to reach any other verdicts. But the very next day. Mary and Norma both decided to break into and vandalize a nursery close by in Woodland Crescent. This is unhinged. They wrote and left four different notes talking about how they killed Martin and how they were going to kill again, all of them being pretty nonsensical. The most clearly written one said, I murder so that I may come back. What? Your guess is as good as mine. And that's the one that made the most sense. Um, The other ones did not make any sense, but Martin's name was written down at least once. They didn't sign any of these notes, and they were dismissed by the police as a tasteless and childish prank, possibly because at that point the nursery was regularly being broken into. It also just sounds like an extremely lazy police department because they already considered Martin's death to be suspicious, And here they had found handwritten notes talking about Martin's death and expressing a desire to do more killing. Like, how could you dismiss this? Yeah, that's interesting, especially if they didn't have any other leads. Maybe if they had more leads that seemed more credible to them at the time that they were working on, then maybe that would be understandable that they would dismiss this thinking that the other ones were more important. Um, but I don't really know if that was the case in this scenario, but that's the only logical reason I could think of as possibly putting this on the back burner while you investigate other things that seem more likely, but I don't know. Well, another thing that happened right before Martin's funeral, in fact, 
was that Mary and Norma both went to go visit Martin's mother. They knocked on her door and asked to see Martin. And when the woman gently replied that they couldn't see Martin because he was dead, Mary replied, oh, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin. And then the door was promptly slammed in her face. That right there sounds like a big red flag. And also that's super sickening. Like, I know. That's so I, gross. It's I don't so even, disgusting. I, it is not. I, I got no pleasure from covering this case. Like I'm not having fun right now. <laughs> Definitely not. And like at this point, I don't even think Martin's mom suspected Mary of anything. I, I think she just assumed that she was making a cruel and insensitive joke. But it's crazy because Mary did not act like she had a secret to hide at all. She began bragging to her classmates about having killed Martin, but the thing is no one actually believed her because they thought of her more as a liar and a show-off than an actual killer. It sort of seems like maybe that was her whole purpose behind doing this was attention. Yeah. I mean, she was... And we see that so much, too, in, in a lot of the cases that I've covered. She was really neglected by her mom, and maybe this was the only way that she felt like she could get attention, which it's super sick and super I know. twisted. What a horrible cycle. Yeah, it's it's what she did was horrible, but also the circumstances she went through were horrible. That's not an excuse. Like that doesn't make what she did excusable, but it's just hard not to feel bad for her as well, even though she is the killer. Yeah, because I mean, she's a child. A few days later, a three-year-old boy named Brian Howell went missing. He had last been seen playing with a sibling, the family dog, and both Mary and Norma. During the afternoon, concerned family members and neighbors went out looking for him. Mary and Norma volunteered to help as well, unsurprisingly. And then at 11.10 p.m., a search party finally located Brian, who had obviously been killed by Mary. The body was very poorly concealed in some grass and weeds, and the boy's neck was covered in bruises and scratches. Also found was a pair of scissors lying close to his feet, which Mary had used to make scratches all over his body. This is really sad. Um, the coroner was able to see clearly this time that the boy had died of strangulation, and the lack of force that was evident in the attack led the authorities to believe that it could have been a child who killed Brian. So now the authorities were finally going around and interviewing all of the local kids in order to try to get a suspect. Over 100 detectives were assigned to the case, and over 1,200 kids were questioned in just a couple of days. Both Mary and Norma were considered to be suspicious by the police for several reasons. Number one, they were reported to be both evasive and contradictory in their original interview. They were both young kids, so... I'm sure no one was expecting perfect answers for everything, but of course, more of the spotlight was on them in particular, since they had been seen with Brian right before he disappeared. Yeah, I'll say good work by that coroner paying attention to details and really saying, like, it looks like this was a child. Like, that was yeah. great work by the coroner that set up the police to be able to, like, quickly do this, and then good work on the police by being able to recognize that these two are very suspicious yeah. out of all the people that we've interviewed. Mm -hmm. So that's There's great so many work people who play a part in um, solving a case. Mm -hmm. 
that coroner may have prevented other deaths by quickly noticing like the lack of pressure here indicates that it could be a child like that coroner may have saved other children so great work by whoever that was and when you think of becoming a coroner like are you thinking of that like that you might be able to save lives like that's so interesting i don't think that is interesting because you're i mean i guess you would understand that to a degree as part of the job because yeah, you would be doing autopsies yeah. on I murder just never victims. Thought of it. <laughs> yeah, because if you do autopsies on murder victims, then mm-hmm. you know your part of the job will lead to how the case goes. So I'm sure they do think about yeah. that if they're pursuing that as a career. True. Yeah. Mary admitted to playing with Brian on that day, but denies that she had seen him after lunchtime. Additionally, Mary was found lurking around outside of Brian's house on the day of his burial. She doesn't really seem to have put much effort into not getting caught other than making up a couple of lazy lies to the police. But she may have started to get a little scared when the police called her back for another interview because this time she added a whole other character to the story. She was now saying that on the day Brian went missing, she had seen him playing with an eight-year-old boy, but she actually gave someone's name, like the real name of a local boy. She said that the boy had a pair of scissors and appeared to have been rolling around in the grass. And then she made up a story about him trying to cut the tail off of a cat. So she's trying to frame this other boy so she can get away with it. Because she is a coward. The important detail, though, was that she had for sure seen this boy hitting Brian. And you know what? This all worked out beautifully because it turns out that the police had never said anything about a pair of scissors. It wasn't public knowledge that scissors had been found near Brian's body or that there were cuts on his neck from scissors. So Mary literally just gave herself away right there. Yes, that's something we were talking about just a few episodes back. The police withholding some (laughs) sort of information that might cause the killer to Uh accidentally reveal themselves. What's also perfect is that the police interviewed the boy that Mary had tried to blame all of this on. And it turns out he had actually been at the airport on the day of Brian's death. There were several witnesses to corroborate this. Detective James Dobson already suspected that Mary was the killer after interviewing her, and it would be confirmed very soon. Because on August 4th, Norma's parents called the police to tell them that Norma had information for them concerning the death of Brian Howe. When Detective Dobson arrived at their house, Norma explained to him how Mary had strangled Brian to death in the location where he had been found, and then later brought Norma along to show her what she had done. This is so chilling. She just wanted to show her friend how she had strangled a child and tell her about how much fun it had been for her. It's so That's gross. the it, story, I guess. So what I'm kind of piecing together from this is it seemed like she wanted the attention of being a killer, like at school from like all the children, But then when she started feeling the heat from the police by being interviewed and stuff like that, she got scared and tried to pin it on someone else. So she wanted the attention, but she understood that what she did was wrong and was scared of getting in trouble for it. Yeah. So it does show some competence, some understanding of the gravity of what she did. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, that just sounds like the like the line of thought that like a 10 year old child would have. Exactly. yeah. Like they didn't think it all the way through. They're right. like, oh, I'm going to do this for attention. They just and don't have the life experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, Norma was able to describe exactly what the body had looked like 
when it was first found by authorities. So my question here is, I, I feel like this is where it gets hard for the police. How do they determine if it was just one of them or both of them? Like, is Norma yes. just trying to pin it on her? Like, that's what the police really have to figure yeah, out. And, and that sounds a lot more difficult. We will get into that. Yeah. That was a really interesting part of this story. And also another reason I kind of wanted to cover the story. The next day, Mary was visited at her home by the police who pointed out some of the discrepancies in her questioning. She told the detectives, you're trying to brainwash me. I will get a solicitor to get me out of this. Spoken like a true Karen, and she was only 11 at this time. Norma was questioned again later, and this time she said that she had been present at the time of Brian's murder. So changing the story, but hadn't participated in it. Her story was that Mary had been strangling the kid and then asked for help before Norma ran off. And yeah, it's really sad because it does seem like she was just sort of dragged into all of Mary's bullshit. I think she might have maybe been a little afraid of Mary too. And that's why she kind of went along with all of this. Um, she never seemed to really be willing to commit any violence and she never seemed comfortable with what Mary was doing either. But she was always there with her and therefore involved in some way. So yeah, the police did a forensic examination of the clothing fibers found on Brian's body and they were traced back to a dress owned by Mary and a skirt owned by Norma. So yeah, I mean, it's possible that it's it's possible that she wasn't there, but I feel like she most likely was there. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I'm just interested in hearing how the police determine if it was one or both of them. Like, yeah, uh, I, there's not really any way to know for sure if she was present at the time or not. Either way, she knew about it and didn't <coughs> tell the police or didn't contact anyone. Right. So, I mean, still not somewhat first, still somewhat complicit even, even if she didn't take part well the thing is like she gave that police report before about like um mary strangling the three girls or trying to strangle them like uh -huh. even then she was speaking out against mary that is true that is a good yeah. point she has been speaking out against her since the beginning and maybe because nothing was really done the first time mm -hmm. maybe i don't know that's maybe she didn't hmm. think she would be taken seriously because maybe. of that or maybe she was just scared of also getting in yeah, trouble, exactly. like getting blamed like, for it as well. I think it's a it's a lot more complicated than yeah, it seems because, from the outside. I mean, it's just like we were saying right now, how do the police determine whether she was involved or not? And maybe that's what she was worried about. I was like, what if I also get in trouble for this? Yeah. So it seems that Detective Dobson was a little impatient to see Mary behind bars because he witnessed her standing outside of Brian's house on the day of his funeral procession, laughing and rubbing her hands and just generally feeling proud of herself. And his thought was, my God, I've got to bring her in. She'll do another one. Yeah, Someone's definitely thinking sounds, with their head. <laughs> definitely sounds like she would kill someone else. Like she sounds psychotic. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure she would have. At uh, eight o'clock that night, both Mary and Norma were charged with Brian's murder. Mary's reaction was, that's all right by me. Norma reacted by bursting into tears and saying, I never, I'll pay you back for this. Which 
I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it seems like she's super upset about this whole thing. I know nothing about this child or who they were, but again, I just had the feeling that she was swept up into a situation that may have not been super easy to get out of, and my heart does go out to her for that. Also, Mary did try to blame the whole murder on Norma at one point after they were charged, which doesn't surprise me. It clearly wasn't a genuine friendship. And okay, so I'm going to get into the psychological evaluations now, and this sort of supports how I feel about Norma. This is why I kind of feel like she really just shouldn't have been involved in this. So it was found that Norma was intellectually delayed and that she was a little more on the submissive side, which, yeah, really confirms for me personally um, how unfortunate this was that she ever even met Mary at all. Mary's evaluation revealed that she suffered from psychopathic personality disorder. I believe I said that right. <laughs> well, that would make a lot of sense because at the very beginning, you talked about how Mary was known to be manipulative. Yeah. And so if Norma is a super submissive sort of person mm -hmm. and Mary's very manipulative, she could have just been controlling Norma. It was just a perfect recipe for disaster, mm -hmm. basically. Well, very manipulative people prey on submissive yeah, people because there would be true. no benefit like, in being manipulative if there wasn't submissive people, you know. So. It's just so messed up. Or gullible people or whatever, you know. It was said by physician David Westbury that Mary's social techniques were primitive and took the form of automatic denial, ingratiation, manipulation, complaining, bullying, flight, or violence. In the end, Mary was not charged with murder, but rather with manslaughter due to the diagnosis of psychopathy. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that they probably made that decision because a jury would probably be most mm -hmm. likely to convict her of manslaughter over murder because imagine being on the jury and sentencing yeah. a 10-year-old with a personality disorder to because two of her how she grew up and genetics and it's just it's a mess. In this case, everyone is a victim. I like know. it is it, like, it how is do you heartbreaking. Even... I know. So they probably lessened the charge from murder in order to make sure it was more likely that she got convicted. Yeah. Norma was acquitted, however, and I do think that this was the right decision. Um, she was found to be an unwilling accomplice who had fallen under a bad influence. Unfortunately, though, Mary did uh, get to be released back into society. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's unfortunate or not, depending on how you feel about it. And like we said, this is a super complicated situation. So I don't even feel like I have the right to speak on it, to be honest. <laughs> like, this is just a tricky one. Yeah, I feel like the most complicated cases are when somebody has some sort of mental illness and it wasn't properly treated and then they commit a crime but then if they can be properly treated and rehabilitated then yes it makes sense to like let them back out into society and let them be mm -hmm. a normal person and like actually live yeah. their life but I'm glad I'm not the one who has to make that decision like how do you determine that and like if you are the person who has to try to determine that if you make the wrong decision and someone gets hurt like that's got to hurt your soul. You know, that's got to be so difficult. So it, it has to suck to be that person 
or those people to make that decision whether to let someone out like that or not. Even if you truly believe that they're a better person and they wouldn't reoffend, there's always got to be at least a small percentage that you're worried that exactly. something else will happen. Yeah. So she is free today and she does have a daughter. Um, I mean, we don't really know of any incidents. Like she is protected by, um, like she was granted anonymity. So we really don't know what name she is going by or where she is or anything like that. So I don't really have a lot to tell you there. Um, on the end of that, I just feel like this story was super tragic and I don't know, just kind of interesting. You know, there were a lot of like good topics to go over in that one. Sorry, uh, out of confusion, I just want to clarify. Yeah. So after she was released, was she given anonymity and like changed her name or just like yes. her daughter? Oh, okay. no. So um, I she her name was changed. And then I don't know if her daughter's name was changed or if it's just hidden. I, I'm not sure on that detail. Well, but. I do like that because if if she is truly rehabilitated and a better person and can go out into the world and live a normal life she would never be able to get away from the things that she did, even though, you know, it was because of these psychological things. Um, so I do like that they kind of did give her anonymity and that um, this isn't necessarily following her around. I feel like that gives her the best chance of reintegrating into society successfully. I think that does give her the best chance of doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, I think authorities would know who she is to keep an eye on her. So I think if there was any instances with her daughter being harmed, like she would definitely or suspicious accidents with her daughter, I think they would be looking at her really hard. So I think this probably does give the right balance of giving her a real shot at integrating into society successfully. And it's also the safest way possible. So that way, you know, law enforcement can keep track of her at the mm -hmm. same time. So yeah, I don't know. That kind of sounds like the best possible scenario for her. I do want to share what one of the victims had to say on this matter, just so we're um, just highlighting how they're feeling. Um, June Richardson, the mother of one of the victims, Martin Brown, said, It's all about her and how she has to be protected. As victims, we are not given the same rights as killers. I mean, yeah, that would be rough, like, knowing that the person who murdered your child was just walking free. I understand how hard that would be. And, yeah, as the family of one of the victims, you would want that person to be locked up for life. Um but also knowing that they weren't in the right state of mind, knowing the abuse that they went through. It's like, it's hard not to feel bad for her as well. And I, this is why we have, you know, a jury of your peers and like a justice system. And like, it's not up to just one person. It's not just up to the victim's family to decide what happens to you. Yeah. It, like greater society takes a look at it. I understand how heartbreaking it is and how scary it is for those families, but I kind of have to say so far, it sounds like letting her back into society, reintegrating her, rehabilitating her, treating in any mental disease she had. I, 
it kind of all seems like the right way to go about it. Like, I feel like this is what the justice system is supposed to try to do yeah. is rehabilitate people and then successfully reintegrate them into society. And I kind of feel like that's what they did here. This was just such a heavy case to cover. And like, I have, I just have a lot of sympathy for everyone involved. It's kind of like um, the case of the Slenderman stabbing. Like, I just have a lot of sympathy. Yeah, for just everyone. This was just a mess. Yeah. It's so sad. But I, you know, we really hate power tripping cops and things yeah. like that. But in this case, it really seems like everybody did the best work they could. It seems like the coroner did a fantastic job narrowing it down to children. It feels like the police did a great job with their interviews. It feels like probably... I'm assuming at some point she went through some sort of mental health treatment, some mental health institution. I'm assuming during, you know, her imprisonment or whatever. So, I mean, it really does sound like all around, like this was the best case scenario given the circumstances. Like, you know, they did their job the best they could after such a tragic event happened. And that that's really all I have to say. Like, I don't see a way that they could have done anything better. Yeah. I don't think putting an unhealthy person behind bars and then getting them healthy and then keeping them there forever. I don't necessarily think that that's the best thing to do. And I know it's hard to let somebody who's ever murdered anyone out of jail. Like it's just, I agree with you. I just feel bad for everyone wrapped up in this entire scenario. I know this was really hard to cover and um, it actually like really took it out of me. Like this is the first time I've like actually shed tears on this podcast so <laughs> yeah, yeah i, was I think gonna i'm say, getting ready to like wrap it up <laughs> yeah i was gonna say like y'all can't really see it but kelsey's actually <laughs> crying right now while covering the case like this really is a heartbreaking yeah. one but we do have to wrap this up because kelsey has to get ready to go to work and so do i but thank you so much for listening everyone if you enjoyed this uh, please leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. That really helps us out. And you can check us out on Patreon for ad-free episodes and bonus episodes starting next week. And give us a follow if you want to hear a new episode every Monday and Wednesday. And as always, be, be careful, careful out, out there. there.